Welcome back to our final episode of In a Mother's Mind for this season. This is our co-produced podcast series which aims to raise awareness about the experiences and needs of women who have had children removed from their care. It was created by a group of four women who have had experience of having children removed from their care who have all completed the PAUSE programme. I'm Helena. I'm a graduate of the PAUSE programme and I will be your host. We want to end the season on a positive note by highlighting examples of good housing practice and domestic abuse safeguarding. Vanessa will interview her previous PAUSE practitioner, Sarah Moat, to hear about how PAUSE works in partnership to support women to access other services and stable accommodation. We will then hear from Karina, PAUSE's involvement assistant, you will then lead a conversation with our podcast group to reflect on our personal experience, what we would like to see change and messages of support we would like to give to other women going through care proceedings after, whilst also facing housing difficulties or experiencing domestic abuse. First, let's hear from Sarah and Vanessa. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and your expertise? Thank you, Vanessa. I'm Sarah. I am one of the practitioners up here in the northeast. I started working with PAUSE through Bernardo's on the 1st of August in 2016, and I've been with the two organisations ever since. Prior to that, I worked within custodial settings, and prior to that, I was a tutor for Women's Project, again based in the northeast. For the last 20 years, I've worked with women over the age of 18 in a variety of different guises, but always empowering them and keeping them centre to decisions about themselves and supporting them to educate themselves, to make more informed choices, to improve their lives and the lives of the communities around them. What is an example of housing project that PAUSE has partnered with that has provided really good support to women? Housing for the PAUSE women is one of the most crucial pieces of work that we do right from the get-go. Often when we're meeting women for the first time, they're in family homes, so bigger properties, and this can cause financial issues for them. We often meet women who have lost their housing, so they're in hostel and supported accommodation. And these are challenges when you're trying to make decisions to move forward and change things in your life. If you don't have somewhere you feel safe and you can feel yourself and that firm foundation, how can you possibly change things in your life if your housing, if that foundation is rocking all the time? One of the areas that causes supported me to support women with is looking at what are their needs now as a birth mother whose children are no longer living with them. Their needs could be that they still want space and time to sort through belongings and look at what do they really want to keep and take with them or what is it that they don't need anymore. Suppose works very closely with local authorities, as does Bernardo's in the northeast, to actually advocate for women and talk to housing authorities like, yes, at the minute they are in a three-bedroomed home or a four-bedroomed home, but 
at present, that is where they need to be while they're addressing other areas in their life and trying to find their identities, this new way of living, and also what else is available for them. Because taking a woman away from where she has grown up, where her network of support is, to move to, even if it is just half a mile away, that can cause a challenge as well for the women. So housing is the foundation of making any changes in your life. How have the housing people worked with pause to meet the needs for women who have had children removed from their care? Once pause is involved, one of the first things that any of the practitioners do is look at the woman's circumstances and what is available locally to support not increasing arrears so that we can look to move if that's what they wish to do. Within the benefit system, there's something called a discretionary housing payment, and this helps reduce arrears for an individual because that will top up a little bit of the housing costs through universal credit. Nationally, there is a housing crisis. We don't have social housing as readily available anywhere as we used to, which makes it difficult if women are trying to get away from memories or potentially domestic violence, although there is an agenda around that, but often that is halted if there's rent arrears. And that's something, again, that as practitioners, we often have to advocate for. What about housing solutions available to women fleeing domestic abuse, as it is not a one-size-fits-all solution, and it is also particularly complicated when there are children involved? Absolutely. And I think I've just touched on that in the fact that there is an agenda written by the government and local authorities and housing option teams do follow that. But then we have an issue of if there's arrears, that stops a woman fleeing and being moved just seamlessly. Also, if a woman just doesn't have a choice, she has to stay in that area. Her support network might still be in that area. And also, if children are nearby and she's still having family time with them, why would she want to then move 20, 30, 40, 50 miles, etc. away from her children who she is trying to maintain a relationship with? I suppose my feelings is that the woman who is the victim of domestic violence She is the one that's being victimised in this. She's losing her home. She's losing her children. She's having to move. Yet the perpetrator potentially is staying in that area where all his mates are, where his family is, where possibly his work is. It feels unfair that she has changed her entire life. And yet she's been the victim here. I suppose a piece of good practice that happened a couple of years ago up in the northeast was I was working with a young woman and her property was a three-bedroom property. Her children were now no longer with her. She had horrendous arrears, so local authority weren't able to move her. We set up a payment plan, but it was going to take 10 years at the very basic level. She was never going to get those arrears down enough to move. We put in a discretionary housing payment, a DHP, which was accepted by the housing team, which was fantastic. And I was a bit cheeky and I asked them to backdate it to when the children were first removed from her care, which actually they did. So that 
massively reduced the arrears, but she still had something. And when I say daft, 300 pounds isn't a daft amount of money, but compared to the thousands that she did have, it was really nothing. And it was one person working with me in the benefits team who went to the housing team and they said, look, we'll just write it off. Just write off the 300 pounds and get her moved because actually housing stock in this area is really low. So we'll have families who are waiting for this property that she's in. So let's move her out of that, put her into a smaller property, and then a family who needs that larger property can move into it. It was fantastic for her. She left that property. She had a smaller property that she could manage financially herself. No longer was she in arrears. She was able to budget successfully. And all it took was just somebody who understood this circle that we were all just going to keep going round and round. She actually also had a flag on that original property. The flag would be where a woman has been a victim of domestic violence and the flag is put on the property or the individual so that if they phone 999, the response is quicker. Unfortunately, that was the only small bit in the sort of jigsaw that didn't quite work. The flag was on the property and not on her. We then had to go back to court, which we did, and we had the flag put back onto her new property. But why are we putting this technicality there for something as important as that? But that was a really fantastic bit of work from an individual in the local authority who understood that actually even £300 was going to take a while for this woman to pay back for her to then move. Fantastic. Thanks for agreeing to do this, Sarah, and explaining a bit more what women have to go through and the way the local authority in the North East works. Now I'm going to pass it over to Karina. My name's Karina and I'm the Women's Involvement and Communication Assistant at Pause. This season, we spoke with various experts about how issues with housing domestic abuse interact with care proceedings. I'm now here with the podcast group, Heidi, Helena and Vanessa. We're going to reflect on personal experience and what we'd like to see change. We recognise that situations are different in different parts of the country, but we want to share experiences and information with other women who might be in a similar situation. Giving someone immediate access to a safe, affordable home gives them a stable foundation upon which to begin addressing other issues they face. But we know at Paul's that housing issues become even more complex when children are involved or when someone is experiencing domestic abuse. Thinking specifically about housing, what are the important things to think about when working with women going through care proceedings? Be reassurance for them to actually speak to the housing officers and just explain to them what's going on. It's knowing the right words to use because I'm dyslexic. My practitioner stepped in and helped out. I believe they need to be aware of the intricate details about what issues women who have children going through care proceedings face, especially when it comes to their housing situation. They usually 
start being charged bedroom taxes, they have lower benefits, so they start struggling with rents, all sorts of issues that they then have to face while still trying to keep their home. Otherwise, they'll lose that chance of bringing their children home. They've also got to remember when it's domestic abuse and they want them to move to a hostel. They can't just get up and leave because then it gets used against them that they haven't got this, that and other for children because they've had to leave it behind. That's always... I will not say a victim, I don't like that word. It's always a survivor who has to uproot their life where the perpetrator can just carry on and do what they like. So then when you get put in a hostel or a safe place, we've got to start again from scratch. They have got to remember we've had to lose everything. Then there's no real funding in place to help survivors in that situation to try and replace the things they've lost. Yeah, totally agree. It's a traumatic situation that we're having to go through as women and having to uproot and move everything can be very difficult. Sometimes it's a completely different area where you may not have some support network in that area. The reminders of your children are all over. You're conflicted. Do I move or do I stay? You need to move because once care proceedings is over, you don't get enough money to pay for the property. But then you don't want to move because it's the memories. My youngest had a chocolate handprint on my son's door and I refused point blank to move because I know that I would lose that memory. They've lived there. That was the only home my youngest daughter knew. So that was everything in that home. I fetched a home from hospital in that house. The turmoil of leaving all their memories, but then you sit and think that's where the bad memories are as well. That's where domestic abuse happened. That's where the kids were removed from. It's all them little things. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually still in the property that I was in when I had my kids and when they were moved. It is mental gymnastics between staying and leaving. I've got a second bedroom, obviously at the moment not being used. If I try and move, I'll only be housed in a one bedroom, which will then take away the possibility of when my kids do eventually start sleeping over. So I do feel trapped as well because I can't potentially get another second bedroom house. What are some of the creative ways you can approach the emotional challenges of staying in the same home after care proceedings? I redecorated the first month after the kids moved out nearly the entire house except for their bedroom. I constantly tweak it to make it more and more how I like it because I used to just hide in my bedroom so I didn't have to see the rest of the house and now I spend more time in all areas of the house. There was a practitioner that supported a woman that was still staying in the same house and she had the heights of her children on the door frames, but she wanted to redecorate her property just to try and make it a bit more homely and trying to make it a bit more personal. And what the practitioner suggested she do was just to take the measurements of each of the height at the different ages. So she didn't ever lose that memory, but it wasn't something that it was constantly there for her to see to bring up these emotional times so I thought that was really really helpful for a practitioner to assist the woman in doing that. My practitioner helped me get a grant and now I've got carpet I've got lino down and everything to get the house together. What would you like to say to other women that may still live in the same house or that have moved away to be able to support them in that situation? Do what's best for you in your situation. So if it's staying in the same house, find ways that it's easier for you to stay in that house. 
But if you're having to move house, try and not feel guilty about having to leave those memories behind. When I'm downstairs, I think the kids are going to come down in a minute. It's not easy to begin with and you're not going to get over it. But I found that with time, it got easier. Be strong, be mindful. And at the end of the day, it's your decision which way you turn. It is like a vicious circle. Took me two years and now I've moved. But my new home is not my home. My home is where my children were. I have had to adapt. My oldest sees this as her home now, not the place where the children were removed, not where the domestic abuse happened. It's so conflicting, but you've got to do what's right for you. Nobody can tell you when, how, why it is for you. But you always come out on the end because that's what we do. We're troop as, we're fight as. I would just like to end by saying thank you. Thank you for all your conversations today and for sharing so much with us. Thank you so much to Sarah and Karina for joining us for this episode and sharing their thoughts. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Our aim is to bring awareness to the unspoken housing and domestic abuse struggles of mothers across the UK going through care proceedings. We also want to send a message of support to other women that are in our situation so that they know they are not alone. We want to encourage them to seek support and make their voices heard. That's it for this series of In a Mother's Mind. We really hope you enjoyed these three episodes and we hope to be back with more episodes soon. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about PAUSE, just go to www.pause.org.uk or find us on Twitter or Instagram at PAUSE.org. Until next time, thank you.